Section 21 of Unvarnished Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Unvarnished Tales by William McKay. Love and a Diary. You will find recorded in a hundred places the history of the flirt who, carrying her affectation of coldness too far, is misunderstood at last by her lover he devoted man leaves her presence to wander about the world while she atones for her indiscretion by a lifelong repentance this capricious maiden figures in comedy tragedy and farce she is the heroine of innumerable novels and her folly and fidelity form the theme of at least one popular song in this tale she figures once again and the only excuse for presenting her is that she appears in connection with a circumstance or coincidence so strange as to appear incredible it is nevertheless absolutely true those who have followed the red deer on exmoor need not be told that dulverton is a hunting centre situated on the border of somerset such readers will recall not unpleasantly the morning bustle in the yard of the lion when there has been a meet in the neighbourhood the rubbing down of nags the excitement of grooms the greetings of red-coated sportsmen among those who most enthusiastically supported the devon and somerset staghounds at the date of this story's commencement were squire arbury and his daughter kate she was an excellent horsewoman and understood the long precipitous coombs and knew how to take the deceptive moorbog which showed as solid ground to the uninitiated and was generally in at the death when the stag with glassy eye outstretched tongue and quivering flank fell beneath the fangs of the pack kate avery had performed in such scenes times without number and had invariably succeeded in exciting the admiration of the field the admiration of one unfortunate white had developed into a passion his name was shilcott the shilcotts were hunting men from all time and henry shilcott valued his accomplishments because he believed they would give him favor in the eyes of miss arbery henry was young and enthusiastic his brother arthur who was two years his senior regarded the infatuation of henry as one of the heaviest misfortunes which could have befallen him take my word for it harry she has no heart he would say to him at times but the other replied lightly that he couldn't see how such an anatomical omission was possible and fell more and more hopelessly in love every day these people belonged to the same sphere and opportunities for the interchange of sentiment were frequent upon henry shilcott the effect of such interchanges of sentiment with kate arbery varied sometimes he would return to his home elated beaming and hilarious at other times he would come back downhearted misanthropic and despairing and his brother interpreting the symptoms knew that kate had given him high reasons for hope or that she had treated him with studied coldness and hauteur harry's nature was a singularly simple and unsuspecting one he attributed her varying moods to anything but the right cause but after a year of assiduous attention and of much love-making of the kind when no word of love has been spoken 
Harry Shilcott determined to know the worst. There had been a meet at Anstey Barrows, and after a long and exciting chase, the stag was killed at the water's meet on the Lynn. But few of those who saw the stag break were in at the death. Among those few were Kate Burberry and her admirer. After they had witnessed the agreeable spectacle of disemboweling the stag of ten, an operation completed with great nicety and dispatch by the huntsmen. They rode together slowly in the direction of home, for their horses were by no means so fresh as when they streamed away towards the water from Ancy Barrows. Then he spoke, and she, full of high spirits and the keen sense of enjoyment, born of sport, at first bantered her gallant, and then snubbed him. She was simply borne away by a fine flow of animal spirits. He accepted her answers seriously and in silence. He received his sentence, and he had no right to question the wisdom of the judge, though she might, he thought, have been less cruelly severe in her manner of awarding it. The gray shades of evening were closing in by the time they reached her father's gates. As they were flung open, Kate saw that Harry held his horse in. "'You'll come up to the house, will you not?' she said. He answered sorrowfully, "'No, I wish to say good-bye.' "'Oh, good-bye, then.' "'But I mean,' he said, "'shake hands with me, for it is good-bye forever.' Had he been a close observer of human nature, he would have seen that Kate reddened and then turned white. She recovered herself in a moment, however. He approached her. She held out her hand. He bent over it and said, Goodbye. She felt a hot tear fall that seemed to burn through her glove. But she only said with supreme airiness of manner, Goodbye, and galloped up through the avenue of chestnuts. Harry was as good as his word. He took the portion of goods that fell to him and went into a far country. And now Miss Arbery began to evince an interest in Arthur Shilcott which she had never before exhibited. She made all sorts of excuses for seeing that gentleman, and at last she did what she might have done before, confessed her love for Harry, and commanded his brother to bring him back to her. Ladies do occasionally make preposterous demands of this sort, imagining that it is the duty of society at large to repair the evil of their own making. But Arthur was cynical, he professed himself unable to reconcile Kate's expressions with Kate's actions. I will prove to you that I love him. You are his brother. You shall see my diary. You shall read my confessions. And then you will bring him back, will you not? She pleaded. To a woman in her present state of mind, Arthur Shilcott knew that he might as well say yes as anything else. Besides which, yes is more easily said than any other word in the language. So he said it and received, with many injunctions as to strict secrecy, the precious diary. It was folded up in brown paper. He put it into his pocket, took leave of Miss Arbery and the squire, and went home. Arthur Chilcott, though capable of advising well when consulted about the affairs of others, was not triumphantly discreet in the conduct of his own. And soon after the departure of his brother, he became very badly afflicted with the mania for that species of gambling, which goes by the name of speculation. He dabbled in all sorts and conditions of stocks, and in the course of a couple of years had muddled away 
his whole fortune chilcott manor with the fine grounds attached had to be brought to the hammer the pictures books plate and wines were duly entered into the unsympathetic pages of the auctioneer and arthur came up to london to live in chambers heartily wishing that he had never indulged in any sport more hazardous than hunting the red deer of exmoor harry chilcott after many wanderings in foreign lands during the course of which he had never forwarded an address or any indication of the course of his aimless adventures arrived in london he was tolerably well cured of his passion or fancied that he was which is perhaps not exactly the same thing happening to pass through holborn one day he stopped at the second-hand bookshop of mr wally and began turning over the volumes that lay higgledy piggledy in a deal box bearing the intimation all these at fourpence of course this intimation did not mean that the whole boxful would be sold for that ridiculously inadequate sum but that each volume could be purchased for a simple groat the box contained a miscellaneous and somewhat battered assortment of literary works there was an odd volume of swift's letters to stella a euclid minus the title page volume the fourth of rollins's ancient history three or four numbers of blackwood a book of common prayer with one clasp an incomplete copy of the whole duty of man and and what is this henry chilcott took up the little book of manuscript his hand trembled as he opened it and gazed at the handwriting he turned eagerly to the fly-leaf one word was written there kate it was enough he ran into the shop deposited fourpence and rushed with his prize to the charing cross hotel at which establishment probably for economical reasons he was staying he locked himself into his room and as he read page after page uttered that scrap of autobiographical intelligence which at some time or other most of the sons of adam have felt impelled to repeat what a fool i have been against the dates of an entire twelve months were entries in which kate arbery confessed her affection entries in which she admitted regret that she should have teased her lover entries in which she vowed that she would never marry mortal man unless harry chilcott asked her to be his finally he turned to the date of the day following that upon which he had been bidden her good-bye forever and he read thus date i have not slept at all thinking of my darling how could i have been so cruel he is so patient so kind but he did not mean good-bye it cannot be i must see him you will come back to me harry i know you will i could cry my eyes out with vexation and so on the infatuated man shut the book and absolutely shouted with exultation yes kate i have got your message and i fly to your arms before carrying into effect this resolution he purchased garments more suitable to the accepted lover than the rough and indeed eccentric clothes which he had picked up on his travels then he wrote to his brother arthur believing that unhappy speculator still to be in the neighbourhood of dulverton and the following evening he and his portmanteau were delivered safe and sound at the door of the lion there was great commotion in the principal room of that famous inn indeed a high carousal was being carried on and loud songs and louder laughter filled the establishment harry was in high spirits himself 
and would have joined the hilarious farmers had it not been that the waiter who conducted him to his room informed him that the roisterers downstairs were celebrating the marriage of miss kate arbury to parson snow a ceremony which had been performed that morning in the parish church for about an hour the disappointed lover sat silent then he took the diary and wrote in it a wedding present for parson snow he wrapped the volume up addressed it to the reverend bridegroom and trudged to the post office with it arrived there however his better nature triumphed he went back to the lion and undoing the packet turned once more to the page in which kate commanded him to come back he reverently kissed the entry then he thrust kate's diary into the flames and silently watched it burn away to white ashes end of section twenty one read by april six zero nine zero end of unvarnished tales by william mckay